Good morning. I do hope that you're all well. Uh, I really miss seeing everyone every Sunday. It's really strange being here without having you all physically in front of me. I'll tell you what, I'm never again going to take coming here physically and worshipping with people for granted. You know, even those mornings that are cold, grey, miserable and rainy, even those mornings when Rachel and I decide that we're going to have an argument as we're getting out of the car in the car park, even those mornings when we're late to church because Joel decides that he needs a poo as soon as we leave the house. I'm going to cherish every single Sunday uh, in future that I can be here physically. I really, really will. Uh, to be honest, I've been a little bit nervous about speaking to an empty auditorium. Uh, it's not actually empty. There's food everywhere. Um, but there's no people here. Um, this is brand new to me. But I'm also kind of nervous because I'm not going to be able to feed off of your laughter when I tell a joke. And unlike our senior pastor, Steve Burnhope, you will actually laugh at my jokes. I've been nervous at the thought of preaching at such a strange time. There's definitely a feeling of uh, more responsibility delivering a sermon with, with so much going on right now. You know, all of a sudden we've been thrown into this instant moment of chaos, you know, lamenting the time on January 1st when we may have uttered those four fateful words, this is my year. You know, some of us may have said that at the start of the year and just goes to show how quickly our world can change and how vulnerable we, we are, even in our postmodern, post-Christian world where we think we know everything there is to know. So uh, I'm just going to dive straight in and get going, I think, with all of this in mind and with all the extra feelings of responsibility. This morning will be quite similar to a sermon that Steve shared a few weeks ago, where he simply felt, uh, felt um, convicted to share something that God was telling him at that moment. And today I'm going to do exactly the same. I'm just going to share a word that I felt God give me uh, actually before lockdown, but it is only during lockdown uh, that the word has made sense to me. So around about February time, uh, maybe the end of January, I really felt God say to me, I am taking the church through a time of reflection. That is church with a capital C. So uh, this is the beyond the, the walls of Ellsbury Vineyard, I think. And just to give you a little context, at the time I had just started reading for my dissertation. Now, the purpose of my dissertation is to look at the decline in church attendance for young adults aged 18 to 29 and to see why this is happening. You know, is the church at fault? And if so, what can we do to stop this decline? So when I felt God say to me, I'm taking the church through a time of reflection, I thought, that sounds nice, God. I'm pretty sure we could really use some reflection right now if things are going wrong. But I didn't really think too much about it. You know, in my mind... Um, the church should rethink about maybe why there are so many young people leaving the church in such numbers. I was only really thinking about that word in my personal, uh, my personal setting. But now when I look back, I think God has got a much bigger application for this word than I had previously thought. So what kind of reflection might God want us to do and what might he want us to learn at this time? Well, I think there are multiple answers. There's, there's one overarching answer and some kind of smaller answers that hang underneath a bit like the top of an umbrella with its canopy so what's at the top what's the overarching answer what's the main thing that I think God is saying to us right now 
About two weeks ago, I went for my one allotted walk of the day. Obviously, now we can go out um, and have as much exercise as we want. Um, I'm not going to do a Boris impression. Um, But at the time, it was the one allotted walk. uh, And I went out in the evening as the sun was setting. As I was on that walk, I took this picture of the stunning sky. I'm not sure how clear that is. Um, I think you can make it out pretty well. But as I stood there, in awe of God's creation, contemplating how amazing our God is, the God that shapes the stars and threw them into that vast sky, the God that causes the sun to rise and set each day. It's like in that moment, something dawned on me. And that something was that our thinking is too small. Our thinking is too small. You know, we worship this amazing, amazing God, the God of the entire universe, the God that created the heavens and the earth, the God that made man to dwell in his presence for eternity, and the God that raised from the dead, conquering the consequences of the fall of man for every single man, woman and child in all of history. That amazing God. And yet, I'm not sure that we've even come close to seeing him move in the ways that he plans to. Not even close. You know, Psalm 11, sorry, 111 says this, Praise the Lord. I will thank the Lord with all my heart as I meet with his godly people. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. All who delight in him should ponder them. Everything he does reveals his glory and majesty. His righteousness never fails. He causes us to remember his wonderful works. How gracious and merciful is our Lord. He gives food to those who fear him. He always remembers his covenant. He has shown great power to his people by giving them the land of other nations. All he does is just and good and his commandments are trustworthy. They are forever true to be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. He has paid a full ransom for his people. He has guaranteed his covenant with them forever. What a holy or inspiring name he has. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. You see, it's so easy for us to get caught up looking at what we can presently see. And I don't need to remind you of what you can presently see. The current news doesn't make for very pleasant viewing at the minute. And yet, God doesn't want us um, to, to to just look up and be aware of what's in front of us. He wants us to look out and further. That doesn't mean that God doesn't that God wants us to ignore what we can see um, presently. In fact, he embraces us. He embraces it with us. You know, I love the Dorothy Sayers quote that Steve shared weeks ago, right at the beginning of lockdown in March. And I'll share that quote with you now. It says this, For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death, he had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He, he can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair and death. When he was a man, he played the man, He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. 
whatever you are facing at this present time, whatever you can presently see, God is aware of it and is with you in it. However this pandemic is making you feel, whether you're coping or struggling, God knows and is with you in it. He doesn't want us to ignore the present pandemic that we're all facing, but he also doesn't want us to take our eyes off of him. God is all too aware of what's been lost. Uh, I really believe that, but I also believe that God is a good father that wants to restore and heal the world. You know, the other night, um, our son, Joel, we, we pray, obviously, just, just before he goes to bed. And he asked us to pray that Jesus would hold on to the world tightly. You know, I know I'm biased, obviously, but I thought, what a prophetic child. You know, God knows. He knows our pain and he is holding us tightly. I think essentially as we reflect on how God might want the church to change, he's asking us to spend less time looking at the news and more time in conversation with him. That's what I felt God tell me when I was on that, that walk that evening. Get your eyes off of what you can presently see and get them back on me. It was a command. It was a command. When this is over, I really feel like God will be doing something different in our world. And when that happens, we better be ready to embrace what that looks like. Don't get me wrong. I think God needs to be aware of what is going on, needs us to be aware of what's going on. He isn't calling us to become hermits and bury our heads in the sand. It's our duty to be aware of what's going on in our world so that we can be effective in prayer. We must remember, though, we don't watch the news to be bound by fear. We watch the news so that we can bring God's eternal power into that news. So what is the bigger picture? The bigger picture is that our thinking is too small. If our current thinking is too full, small, what does God want us to change? So the first thing that I believe God is asking us to do as we take this time of reflection together is that we must be countercultural in one specific way to the, to the social norm. I do believe that over the last couple of decades, perhaps the, the church has brought into some, some principles that are not kingdom principles, by which I mean that there are some standards of living that are not necessarily sinful, but they are also not that helpful. Now, you could probably think of some norms that society deems to be of great importance, things that we could probably do without. Maybe the devotion to wealth and success. What about the need to be recognised and loved by man? Or perhaps you're thinking of the desire for material possessions, the need to be consumers. However, I'm thinking of one particular thing we need to change, one thing that gives us identity in the world. We're too busy. We're too busy. He wants us to slow down. And I mean right down to an uncomfortable pace. We've made it a virtue in our postmodern world to be busy. We ask each other, how are you? And the reply is almost always, I'm good, just busy. We wear busy almost as a badge of honour. We think to ourselves, if I'm busy, I'm important. And guys, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's just nonsense. It's not true. I hear it all the time now. I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. Another good one is, um, oh, this week has flown by. I've had so much going on. I've barely sat down. This is a bad habit that we've sort of gradually picked up over the last decade or so. And I was wondering where it came from when it dawned on me the other week as we were on our family walk. Um, 
It was just after virtual church, or virtual church, as I now call it, uh, and we went out for our, our walk after lunch. I mentioned to Rachel how nice it felt um, to see everyone home following the government guidelines. It also felt nice to see everyone at home on a Sunday. I realised it must have been the first time in maybe 20 years that everyone was at home on a Sunday. When I was a child, shops, restaurants, cinemas and pubs were either closed all day Sunday or they only had very limited trading hours. And this, of course, is no longer the case. If there's one thing the lockdown's taught us is that we don't need shops open 24 hours a day. We don't need to shop or do anything outside the family home on a Sunday. We don't. And yet we fill our lives with stuff, stuff that makes us busy, and busy makes us feel important. I'm not talking about our jobs, of course. We all need to work to put food on the table. That's different. But other than work, we continue to fill our time with things that distract us from God. I've been reading John Mark Comer's brilliant book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in, in the book, he says this, this new speed of life isn't Christian, it's antichrist. Think about it. What has the highest value in Christ's kingdom economy? Love. Jesus made that crystal clear. He said the greatest commandment in all of the Torah was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But love is painfully time-consuming. All parents know this, as do all lovers and most long-term friends. Hurry and love are incompatible. All my worst moments as a father, a husband, and a pastor are when I'm in a hurry. I ooze anger, tension, a critical nagging. It's the antithesis of love. There is so much truth in this. I feel that love is not always the Hollywood fairy tale that we, we think it is. Love is sometimes painful, costly, sacrificial. It requires patience and commitment. All of that requires time. The verse he's quoting there, by the way, is uh, Matthew 22, 34 to 40, which says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with this reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I'm not sure about you, but I can't possibly imagine being able to love God with all my heart, soul, strength and mind if I don't have the time. We must be counterculture in this as much as we can. When this crisis is over, I challenge you to strive for, for time. Hunger for stillness in your life. Don't fill up your calendar if it can be helped. Take the time to reflect on what you can afford to leave behind as we venture into the future. Don't think of what you might be losing by leaving busyness behind. Think of what we stand to gain. By leaving busyness behind, we can be available to God in ways we may not have been previously. I think in this time of lockdown, God is giving us a sort of blueprint for the things that must continue, the things that must be. And busy is not one of them. Busy needs to end with lockdown. So 
Hit restart. Stop being busy. The second thing that I believe God wants us to hear in this time of reflection is that there is a move of God coming, but it may not look the way that we think it will. When we think of revival or outpouring, whatever you want to call it, we probably think of big Christian gatherings with theatrical worship, lots of crazy healings and miracles. And to some extent, that's not untrue, but a move of God should get us out of the church building. The one problem with the picture of revival that I've just described is that it's exclusive. A move of God, like in Acts 2, when the Spirit fell at Pentecost, should lead to the people of God moving out and loving their communities. Now, this is what I feel God has shown me. So you're entitled to disagree with me. You're entitled to think I'm wrong. And um, I actually invite you to please pray about these things that I'm saying and see what God might be telling you at this time. I encourage you to reflect with God in your own time on the ways in which he may be calling you individually to respond at this moment. So take what I say today as uh, not so much as gospel truth, but pray about it and weigh it up if you would like to. Firstly, I believe that any move of God will include selfless acts of service in great and sacrificial acts of love uh, while serving other people around us. Romans 12, 9 to 10 says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them, love each other with genuine affection. What does that look like? I think if I'm honest, it looks a lot like what we've been doing right now. I have never seen such a revival of love for our neighbours before, as in the people that live next door to us. You know, if anything has blessed me over the last eight weeks, it's been the stories of WhatsApp or Facebook messenger groups set up um, to help our neighbourhoods and our streets. The stories of shopping bought for people, the daily updates um, from right here at the Vineyard Centre, food and items donated, relationships built. There is a real feeling of unity right now and it's the faith community that's leading the charge. That's not to say that people of faith sorry, of no faith and not joining in, but people are loving others with a genuine love and compassion. They are really loving each other. It's a really beautiful thing to watch as we do it. You know, and we must remember that we're being Jesus the people whilst we reach out to people in love and compassion. We're releasing a move of the spirit in powerful waves and it looks a lot like generosity. It looks like sacrifice and it looks like compassion without agenda. It might not look like the most remarkable Hollywood blockbuster. It might not be what we expected in terms of God moving in our nation. It might not be the Billy Graham crusade that we all imagined. But to be honest, I much prefer this. This is richer. It's deeper and it's long lasting. As long as we keep it up. That's God's word and challenge for us right now, I think. Will you continue to love my people in costly ways when perhaps there's a vaccine and this current threat is no longer as prevalent as it is right now. You see, before this crisis began, I didn't know really any of my neighbours. And if I'm honest, it didn't bother me too much that I didn't know my neighbours. 
And now I know them relatively well. We've shared food with each other um, safely. We've kept an eye out for each other. Uh, We've been praying for each other even, which is amazing. I've learned that we're quite a generous street and um, we're practicing serving each other. It's amazing. It's only God that can do these things. And so as long as we leave the pursuit of busyness behind us, we will have time to keep serving our neighbours beyond the COVID-19 crisis to keep building those relationships and building that trust. It might not feel too glamorous, but it is what I believe God is asking of us. Love sacrificially. When the Pharisees asked Jesus about the greatest commandment in the Gospel of Matthew, that was his, what was his response? It was to love your neighbour as yourself. This is not to say that I don't think God calls us to a life of miracles, because he does, he definitely does. But miracles should be an outpouring of love. Miracles flow from a place of love and from a place of compassion. And finally, but definitely significantly, I believe God wants us to reflect on and be very aware of our greatest tool, and that's prayer. As I reflect on these last two months, I think God has given me daily reminders of what it looks like when the church utilises its greatest resource. Our prayers are powerful, and yet, before this crisis began, I'm not convinced that we use prayer all too well. I'm not trying to make people feel bad. I know that many of you have active prayer lives, But as the body of Christ, as the church, if we're honest, I don't think that we quite understand just how significant our prayer life can be. We've seen tangible moments of God answering corporate prayer. I believe the biggest example, uh, the most recent um, example of, of God answering corporate prayer is in Boris Johnson's recovery from COVID-19. He was desperately unwell in hospital um, and dying, uh, we now know, of coronavirus. And we learned that the doctors were actually preparing what to say in case he died. But he didn't die. God healed him and answered our prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't remember having such an example of God answering corporate prayer in such a tangible way for us in the Western world. We often don't step up as the national church to pray together. And it was so refreshing to see unison and see God answer corporate national prayer. I think that was a marker, um, that that healing of, of Boris Johnson, almost like a signpost for things to come. God wants us to be in constant conversation with him, expectant of what he will do and of what he might say to us. We've discovered prayer in a new way over the last two months, but it's not new. It's been there all along. We just didn't use it. You know, let's be honest. We only really pray when we need something. In many ways, we pray as if it's the last resort to solving our problems. That's one use of prayer, to pray when we need something, but there's so much more. So what does scripture say about the function of prayer? There's just a few verses here um, for time's sake. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, never stop praying. Never stop praying. And James 5, 13 to 15 says this, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? 
You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. And Psalm 34, 17 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Our attitude surrounding prayer needs to change. It should be our bread and butter. God wants us to be in constant dialogue with him. Imagine what our lives could look like if we did that. I hope no one feels condemned by what I'm saying. I really don't. I am preaching to myself um, as much as I might be anyone else. And I realise that lots of us have active prayer lives. My aim is to not make anyone feel bad. I wouldn't want to do that at all. But I am hoping um, to encourage us all to open our eyes to what is available to us should we want it. We should pray when we need something, when we're suffering, when we want to thank God, when we want forgiveness and when we need help when we're unwell. I'm not sure about you, but I've been praying more recently, uh, whether it's for healing for someone, for uh, a personal breakthrough for someone, for a friend maybe, for guidance and peace when I've been anxious. Um, I've been anxious a lot. My prayer life has gone through the roof and I've seen a lot more answered prayer. Isn't that funny? I believe that God wants to bring significant breakthrough to us and I'm not promising anything individually for people, nor am I going to suggest that God is going to take all of your prayers and give you everything you want, just like some kind of vending machine deity. But I do believe that God wants us to be in dialogue with him so much more than we might have been before this crisis. He wants to partner with us and be involved intricately in our lives. More importantly, he wants us to be much more aware of what he's doing in the world as well. One thing I believe, again, feel free to disagree with me, uh, is that God wants to replace some of what's been lost during this crisis. Uh, John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, says Jesus, that they may have life and have it to the full. Whilst this is a picture of God's eternal work on the cross, not necessarily a specific word for us during the current crisis, there are elements of this scripture that are tangible to us right now. We can certainly feel the pain and suffering of the enemy prowling around the world right now, stealing, killing and destroying. But the scripture doesn't end there. Jesus came so that we may have life and have it to the full. I think that God wants to bring us new life uh, now and, and throughout and after the crisis. I believe that, for example, the building work that's been carried out here uh, just before uh, uh, lockdown in the auditorium, um, I believe that, that that, for example, is a prophetic sign of what's to come. God desires to grow great through, um, fruit through all of this. I, mean, I should have put my teeth in before I spoke today. Um, but we've seen um, the kind of fruit that, that I'm talking about in papers like The Guardian, looking at the fact that people are turning to prayer and turning to church. You know, virtual church attendance has risen due to this pandemic. Even in these tough times, God is working in ways we can't imagine. And I think that there's growth and fruit to come out of all of this. It's just up to us to partner with God in prayer to see how he does it. So to recap, um, I believe the church has entered a much needed time of reflection. There will be things 
that we can corporately and individually leave behind in lockdown, practices or habits that are unhealthy for us. But we can look forward to making ourselves less busy, perhaps. We can be more available to God. We can live counterculturally like never before. We can love people more sacrificially and in ways we may um, have not done so much of before. I encourage you to get to know your neighbours if you haven't done so already um, and present them with the hope of the gospel. Just live your life the way that Jesus lives his life or lived his life um, uh, on earth. So love people, genuinely love them and then meet with God in deeper prayer. Let's reflect on our attitude uh, and relationship with prayer and let's be more prayerful, more aware of the impact our prayers have and more aware of the ways God wants to move in our nation. I just want to quickly pray, if that's okay. Heavenly Father, we just want to bring all of this to you. Lord, we don't want to be busy anymore. We want to leave that behind in lockdown. We want to move on and be people who are more available to you to listen to what it is you're telling us to do. Lord, we want to be people who can serve you and bring revival, outpouring of your spirit to our nation, desperate for the the move of your power through acts of service and through acts of love and compassion. Lord, we also want to be more prayerful. We want to be talking to you and be listening to you in much greater ways after all of this is over. Lord, help us to not just focus on what's in front of us, not to focus on what we can presently see, but remind us of eternity, remind us of everything that's to come beyond what we can presently see. Lord, I pray that you would bless every single person watching this right now. Bless them richly, Lord, and give them hope for the future. And we pray all of this in your name, Lord. Amen. Thank you.